You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. So a big welcome to you if you are joining us this morning for the first time. Um, you're actually finding us in the middle of what is a hundred days of prayer for us as a community. Uh, I think we're on day 24 is what I've worked out so far. So we're about a quarter of the way through. And yeah, we're teaching on the Lord's Prayer as part of this season on a Sunday morning. And I guess I hope that you are finding this time stretching, challenging, faith building, both individually but also sort of corporately together that we are being built up as God's people. And so we arrive today at um, what is one of the more challenging lines definitely of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of different versions of this. You might know it a bit like this, the kind of terminology around sins, forgive us our sins. This is from Luke. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And there's also a version in Matthew which references this word debts, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, sort of for the purposes of today, we're going to go a bit deeper into the word debts, not until um, later on, but I'm kind of going to bounce off a little bit more of, of this version, essentially. So from the outset of today, um, I recognise that talking about forgiveness may bring up stuff for you this morning. We've all got stuff when it comes to this topic matter. And I want to acknowledge that some of us may have experienced deep pain. And I don't want to skirt over this. And I want to tell you, and I think God's already been speaking to us this morning, that God deeply cares for you if you are coming and reflecting on this topic in this place. And he wants to gently do good to you this morning and restore you. But also for the purposes of our time today, he wants us to grapple with this stuff, not just individually, but I believe corporately. And together, I want to ask us as a community to look at what does it mean to grow in praying this prayer together in the way that Jesus has designed it to be. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So how does this prayer enabling us, enable us as a community to grow in being a people who have been forgiven and are able to forgive? So Augustine once referred to this prayer as the terrible petition and it is a bit like that. It is the only line in the Lord's Prayer that basically um, assumes and commits us to action as the same time we're asking God for something. So we're asking him to forgive us, but it's also assuming that we will forgive others. So there's this sense that like the, your prayer life and then the rawness of your actual life sort of rub together and it feels a little bit uncomfortable at times. There's this kind of relationship between this prayer and the way it needs to be prayed that makes it so challenging. Jesus is welcoming us into this lifestyle that encourages us to be a people who not only receive forgiveness, 
but to be a people who give it out. And the two things are very relationally connected, independent almost on one another. And it's very hard, I think, to put this into words, how this actually plays out when we're praying this. Other than if you have been forgiven, and you've been forgiven by God, and you feel the beauty and richness of that, you know what it is to walk in the freedom and then to release that out to others. So this is really about a lived relational experience of knowing the grace of Jesus and being able to walk out of that. So Tom Wright says this, it is our birthright as the followers of Jesus to breathe in true divine forgiveness day by day as the cool, clear air which our spiritual lungs need. And once we start inhaling God's fresh air, there's a good chance that we will start to breathe it out too. As we learn what it is like to be forgiven, we begin to discover that it is possible and indeed joyful to forgive others. So today we're going to look at seven things um, that basically I think we can muse on and we learn about as we pray this prayer together. So the first being a very obvious one, which is this, we recognise our need. So when you start to kind of get through the Lord's Prayer, maybe you've sometimes prayed this at home, and you go through it, you're sort of meandering through, and it all is good, it makes sense, and then you get to this bit, and it's a bit of a gear change. I don't know what your tendency is when you come to confession, when it comes to sin. Maybe you're sort of wheeling out that portable confession booth and you're wailing and you feel remorseful and you're, you know, maybe Alan's appearing behind the curtain like waving the incense, trying to get rid of your, your sin and whatever, whatever goes on in your mind, your head. But in all seriousness, when it comes to confession, we can get really meticulous about it. We can get really kind of heavy we can get left with this sense of insufficiency and failure. And then there might be some of us on the other end of the spectrum where we don't actually do this. We don't actually recognise our sin and we certainly don't want to linger in that place. So to ask to be forgiven starts with a place of recognition that we need it, to confess our need from the Lord Jesus to forgive us is humbling and it cuts across our pride and it challenges our self-defensiveness. You know, our culture handles sin in a a variety of different ways, actually, I think. Um, On the one end, I think we find that sin is actually very trivialised in our society, that we have a very tolerant society, essentially, where, you know, if stuff happens, just move on from it and get on with your life and have a good life, have a good time. And the truth that permeates here is essentially that we don't need God to forgive us and therefore we don't need to forgive anybody else either. But then I also think we have quite a big narrative of shame in our society where actually our culture can create figures of shame you know, the unforgivable sins, where people are bound by what they do. I want to suggest that neither of these are in line with the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus teaches us to pray. 
So what's your tendency when it comes to sin? Do you ignore it, justify it, laugh it off or boast about it? Are you in danger of sometimes labelling it just as a personality clash or a difference of opinion? Or perhaps you're like that Pharisee who went into the temple to pray, so confident of their own devotion that he didn't actually need the mercy of the Lord Jesus at all. 1 John says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, the Lord's Prayer helps us and keeps us aligned to live by his standards, to know his righteousness is now our righteousness, not sweeping the real issues of human life under the carpet, but embracing his faithfulness towards us, knowing that he is quick to forgive and abounding in love. So secondly, when we pray this prayer, what else happens together? We renounce our privilege of being right, safe, or offended. There's a lawyer called Michael Ramsden, and he says that the most powerful words in the English language are, I am offended. You could probably argue in our society right now that there is more power in feeling wronged than in feeling right. You know, this stuff is very complex and layered with all kinds of sin and ill treatment, where actually a load of deep confession and repentance should be at the very core of some of this stuff in our society. And I am in no means justifying any behaviour that works in such a way that causes this deep level of offence or pain or hurt whether people realise they're doing this or not. But we all will, at times, feel a sense of safety, I think, in being the victim, being the one that's been hurt. I know my tendency is to kind of sometimes build a little bit of a wall around myself. You know, if there's a relationship that causes me hurt, do I want to go towards that? Probably not at times. But to actually start to pray this prayer together as God's people means we choose to position ourselves to take a risk, to build a relationship that is capable of still involving hurt, but moving towards it anyway. So together, when we're praying this prayer, we get to build a radical, Jesus-centered community. We open ourselves up to one another for healing, for relationship, even when we're wronged, and we get to align ourselves to Jesus, the innocent victim who suffered, died, and went to death as the victim. We know, yeah, in Jesus that over the other side of the cross now, he has carried all of our wrongs that have been and will continue to be, and it's dealt with, and we get to walk in freedom and victory. Which goes on to this, essentially. We then start to receive one another as God's gift to us. Last week, Alan preached on Give Us Today Our Daily Bread. It was really great. And 
He talked about this kind of cry in essence that give us today our daily bread is like a kind of cry one day for God to nourish all people once and for all, fully and eternally. And that in return, it kind of implicates us as subjects of the coming king to recognize how we might need to meet the needs of others. And I think that this line in the Lord's Prayer has actually a similar feel to it. It is about nourishing and feeding one another with the forgiveness and mercy of Christ. And we had that picture from Linda this morning of of your hands being closed. And I've got it in my notes here about how can we do this with our hands closed? How tightly we want to hold on sometimes to our personal forgiveness. It's all right, I've forgiven, I'm free. That we don't release that to others. Instead, we find in Jesus the help to offer out the bread of forgiveness today and tomorrow and for as many other tomorrows as we may find we have. And Rowan Williams says this. It's a bit of a longer quote than this, but forgiveness is one of the most radical ways in which we are able to nourish one another's humanity. The unforgiven and the unforgiving cannot see the other as people who are part of God's work of bestowing humanity on them. To forgive and to be forgiven is to allow yourself to be humanized by those whom you may least want to receive as a signs of God's gift. So to deny it means actually we don't need one another. To say we don't need, I don't need you. But instead, forgiveness is about nourishing one another, feeding the other, bestowing dignity on the other. You know, I think about Jesus, who was the one who reached out towards us. He put himself in that reckless position, nourishing our ultimate need of forgiveness and right standing before God. No, and at times this habit daily can just feel hard work and we don't know how deeply our resolve to forgive will be tested but we do know that there is enough to go again and again and again and again. So when we pray this we also make a statement about our loyalty to Jesus. Sometimes I think we can forget how radical it is to be forgiven. You know, we're just used to that idea that that is available to us. But when we think back to God's people, Israel, you know, flung out of their land, exiled, enslaved, abandoned, they were desperate for this end. They didn't really know what the end looked like, did they? But, you know, whether it was politically, culturally, economically for them there was so much at stake but the ultimate liberation was from their sins their disobedience to God their oppression that they faced was generation after generation because of the way they had sinned and ignored God and then kind of John the Baptist comes in 
few years later down the line, he starts to offer this people a repentance, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, dunking people in the Jordan, um, almost just reenacting this sense of exile, of God's liberation coming, heralding a return from exile and preparing people for the arrival of King Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he takes this message to the streets and to the villagers and to the greedy tax collectors and the infectious lepers and the blind and the deaf and he announces your sins are forgiven and it wasn't just that they were forgiven there was liberation that had arrived and then having received this there's this sense that if they believed in Jesus and who he says he was they would then practice this amongst themselves And to not do so was basically saying, I don't believe this Jesus. And it would be a failure to grasp what was actually going on here. As we declare and announce our freedom from sin, and we practice it with one another, we are proclaiming together that Jesus is Lord. And we are submitting to him. And we are saying we have absolute confidence and certainty that he is our great liberator. And essentially living by this prayer is our confession of faith that there is no other Lord or King but him. We also, when we pray this, get to enter into the banquet of forgiveness. The bread of forgiveness, that daily thing, is like a feast. It is a banquet to be enjoyed together as God's people, a people embraced by Jesus, a people who have and get to have a meal prepared at his table, and a people who shockingly and undeservingly get to join in the party anyway. You know, the Gospels, they're full of so many stories, aren't they, of of people eating and banqueting with Jesus, people who've been dramatically forgiven. And the same is true of our story collectively here. If you look around the room, we are dramatically forgiven. And this prayer should actually reel a shout of joy in our hearts. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove my sin The Lord is full of compassion and love, slow to anger and rich in mercy. So when we start to just practice this prayer, we will probably find ourselves increasingly persuaded that there is no other way. Here lies joy and freedom, and sometimes we even get to notice a sense of release. Even physically, we might notice a sense of release Um, the Psalms are just great for this. If, if you dip into the Psalms and you kind of maybe not feeling some of the joy and freedom of this stuff, have a look through the Psalms. There's almost like shouts of, of joy, of sins being forgiven. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. You know, Jesus has taken this stuff on the cross. It's dealt with. It's gone. 
and actually resisting the invitation of forgiveness will mean we are probably robbed of our full joy and freedom in Jesus. So let's not be like that older brother, you know, in the story of the prodigal son who's kind of curled up in the corner of the room watching the party going on. But let's dive into the joy and celebration of walking in this way. Next up, as we pray this, number six, we get to declare that Jesus has the final say. Now, sometimes when it comes to forgiveness, I find the the kinds of people and relationships that are hardest are the ones that are actually closest to us, yeah? So maybe it's like husband and wife relationships, parent and children, brothers and sisters, pastors and church members, managers, employees, whatever those relationships look like. They're ones where it can get particularly painful and fractious. And when these relationships break down, these are the toughest ones often to deal with. And I don't want to downplay these kinds of things going on in our lives because they're real and they're there. And Jesus doesn't either. But even in these deep, painful, fractious, relational things, I think there's a call for us to participate in a greater sense of freedom. These are common places where wounds can occur and we can actually end up blaming others for our sort of present condition. Maybe it goes like, because of you, I will never now feel good enough. I hate who I am or I will never trust again. You've knocked my confidence. I can no longer be me around you. I came across this in my prep. The great challenge is to acknowledge our hurts and claim our true selves as being more than the result of what other people do to us. Only when we can claim our God-made selves as the true source of being will we be free to forgive those who have wounded us. So as we pray this, We realise that other people's words, actions, whatever it may be, no longer need to have a hold on us. Jesus' words, Jesus' truth has the ultimate and final say. And I really felt as I was preparing this this morning that some people really need to hear this. They really need some freedom and release in this area and I'd love to pray for you. A few years back, I had a situation, which I'm not going to go into the details of, but where I was basically told that I was second choice in a particular situation, and that was hurtful for me. And then at the weekend at church, God actually spoke through Gillian wonderfully, and I can't remember all the exact contents of it, but essentially she said, somebody needs to know this morning that silver is better than gold, And second is better than first. And she went on to say that sometimes the ways in God's kingdom are topsy-turvy and upside down in nature. And I was like, wow, God. Yeah? His word. It's the final say. It's the ultimate say. And we don't even need to kind of 
prophetic encouragement, as encouraging as that is, Julian, we're just so appreciative of you. But God's word is written down for us. That is the final say that we get to read. That is the releasing word, the redeeming word for us. Those words are found in scripture. And so as we pray this prayer, we get to grow in this sense of confidence of Jesus' view and dealings with us are the ones that matter the most and we're free to release the words of others. Equally, you might be one of the people where you need to release the moments where you've not been enough for somebody else. Whether you're a parent, you will probably feel that daily. But you are not enough and that is all right. We release that. God's love has no limits and we are forgiven and we are free. His word is the final say. So come in into land. This I think is the most exciting element of praying this prayer. We get to actually usher in the arrival of our King Jesus. So going back to this sense of forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word debt conjures up this imagery around the kind of biblical principle of of jubilee, which you may have heard about. This is a principle that was, is talked about in the book of Leviticus, where every 50th year was known as a jubilee year. It was a year where there was essentially like rest across the land, and the Israelites were free from their debts, slaves were freed, property was returned to those who owned it, and it was like a new beginning. Forgive us our debts, therefore, has a bit of a jubilee kind of cry about it. And as we pray this prayer corporately, we are asking for so much more than just this resolution of our own internal battles and consciences. We are crying for a release in a global sense. The church faithfully praying this prayer. It's like one big groan for freedom and liberation for the entire cosmos, for peace, for mercy, for justice. It's all of that Isaiah 61 stuff that we know. To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to bestow a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair. And how our world needs a church that is praying this prayer right now, faithfully, day in, day out. So what does it look like to pray this prayer corporately together for York, for this nation, for the nations? Do you know what? I don't have the answers. I have no idea what that looks like. But I do know that as we start to go on this journey, we will be changed. Our community, our people will be changed. So maybe you're here today and you're the one feeling like the wounded one, the puzzled one, the shamed one. Maybe you feel like you can't join in this party of forgiveness. And we'd love to pray for you if this is you. We'd love to invite and welcome you into this freedom in Jesus, this ultimate liberation. 
And for those of us who have begun to join in and participate in this journey of forgiveness, my prayer is that we as his church might embody before the world the disgraceful, glorious, shocking and joyful message of the arrival of our King. So as we finish, we're going to nourish ourselves again at the table. We're going to take a moment. I encourage you to just take a moment now to thank Jesus for all that he is for you. He has taken your shame and your suffering upon himself. Let's ask for fresh grace to go again and again and again in this stuff. And maybe you might even want to lift your eyes for a moment off you and yourself and onto his great liberation, his great release, the arrival of King Jesus that is coming and is, he is returning and he is bringing liberation now for us, his people.